Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Good morning. My name is Pastor Michelle Morris. I am the lead pastor here, and it is a joy to echo Ray and welcome you together in worship. You may have noticed some things up at the front. I want to thank Johnny Haney, who has loaned us these incredible prints of the four freedoms, and we actually have some in, down in Heinz Hall, and we have a print of all four of them in the hallway for you to look at. We are starting a series called Freedom of Religion today, and we are looking at this using the frame of these four freedoms. And if you're unfamiliar with them, January 6th of 1941, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave his State of the Union address, and he was actually dealing with the fact that we had not yet entered the war, and he wanted people to understand reasons why entering the war might be important, and he specifically lifted up these four freedoms, freedom of worship, freedom of speech, freedom from want and from fear, as a reason that we might need to enter the war and take a stand. And that inspired Norman Rockwell to paint these paintings as a result of hearing that speech. We are not currently at war externally, but it feels a lot like we're at war internally, these days, doesn't it? And so we're going to use this time to reflect on that. And we're going out of order. He started with freedom of speech. We're going to actually start with freedom of worship. And we're using this whole idea of freedom of religion to overarch the entire series. And that is because religion has the greatest power of any source to set free or to oppress. We need to remember that as Europeans came and started settling in this part of the world, many of them were fleeing religious persecution. That is what brought them to these shores. And the very first part, the very first part of the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then follows freedom of speech, of press, assembly, and petition. And I think that was not just a reaction to that reality that so many of the Europeans had come fleeing oppression, but it was also a recognition that to restrict the freedom of religion is the way that you end up restricting other freedoms. If one religion starts to take hold and define what is proper and right about society, that inevitably shrinks down the freedoms of other things. And so that is why we are looking at these freedoms in this light of freedom of religion. And we're going to start this series by hearing two passages, one from Genesis, one from Revelation. So we're just going to book in the entire Bible here today. And we're going to start with this passage from Genesis 2. So hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord God took the human and settled him in the garden of Eden to farm it and take care of it. The Lord God commanded the human, eat your fill from all of the garden's trees, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you eat from it, you will die. And then from Revelation Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. There were seven angels with seven plagues. And these are the last, for with them God's anger is brought to an end. Then I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mixed with fire. 
Those who gained victory over the beast, its image and the number of its name were standing by the glass sea holding harps from God. They sing the song of Moses, God's servant, and the song of the lamb saying, great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who won't fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? You alone are holy. All nations will come and fall down and worship before you for your acts of justice have been revealed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So when I worked for the University of Arkansas, by the way, I got to go to the Razorback game yesterday. It was healing for my soul. It's so good to be on that campus. It is so formative to who I am, not just as a student, but I did work there. I worked there for five years in the Office of Study Abroad. And one of the things that we did as the Office of Study Abroad, not just send students overseas, but we received exchange students who came to study at the University of Arkansas. And we had a program where a group of students from the old Eastern Bloc countries, the ones that used to be behind the Iron Curtain that were part of the USSR, they came to our school to study and came to live in Fayetteville. And one of the first things that we got to do was we got to take them to Walmart. Very American, right? And so I was paired one year with a woman and we had to go get some sheets for her twin size bed in her dorm. And we walked back to the sheets and I showed her where the twin size sheets were. And she said, which sheet should I get? And I said, which one do you want? And she said, well, what is the difference? I said, well, they're all twins. All of these are twins and and you need to pick a twin. That's the size of your bed. She said, well, what's different about them? And I said, well, Some of them are white, and some of them are blue, and some of them are pink, and some of them have flowers, and some of them have stripes. She said, well, which one am I supposed to choose? And I said, which one do you want? And she said, I have no idea. Because she'd never been asked, even offered the opportunity to choose. Her sheets had always been decided for her by the state. And she was paralyzed in front of the sheets. One of my colleagues was paired with another girl who was running through Walmart screaming, there are so many choices here. This is the best place ever. I realized in that moment that there really are two people. There are people for whom choice is their heartbeat. It is freedom. It is the purpose of life and gives them such utter joy. And then there are those for whom choice is an unbearable burden that they cannot deal with. There are any number of ways I could approach freedom of worship. We could look at other religions and how they relate to Christianity and why we would need to preserve those. But I think for the war that we are in in this nation right now, this internal struggle that we have, what we need to do is look at the division within Protestantism. We need to look at the difference here because there is a central division that is at work in so much of how our world is playing out right now. All Protestants worship the same God. But we understand that God very differently. And key to the difference in our understanding is how we view choice. Do we believe that God allows us to have free will? 
Or do we believe in a God that has designed the world around predestination? This is a main division within Protestantism, and it's the Arminian and Calvinist division. We are Arminians. Methodists fall in the Arminian camp. And Arminians believe that God is love. And that a loving God cannot help but extend choice to the ones that God loves. That the only way to truly love and experience love is for that to be a space that is freely chosen. So God has freely chosen to love us and has empowered us to make the choice as to whether we love God and serve God in return. But out of love, God has given us that freedom. Calvinists believe that God is God. And God has instead preordained everything. That as is extreme, Calvinism believes that there is no choice. It does not exist. Every single thing that happens, every breath that you take was already designed and laid out by God. And what looks like choice is not actually choice, but is instead evidence of who is elect and who is not. Because Calvinism, they believe that some are chosen for salvation, some are not. And what looks like your choice is just proof as to whether you are in line with the will of God or not. We are in a nation where we are free to worship, where we have freedom of religion. And so we are free to proclaim these differences in how we understand God. We are free to affirm each according to the dictates of our own conscience. If you come up and look at that painting closely, you will see that is written across it. However, within Protestantism, there is a deep quandary there. Because a society that allows such freedom is or creates a constant challenge for the reign of God to be fulfilled and how we might understand that reign of God unfolding. So the reason that we looked at Revelation, not just because there's worship mentioned in it, but it is the culmination of time. It is the culmination of the fullness of the reign of God. And in that culmination, in that proclamation, all nations are worshiping at the throne of God. But the question is, how did they get there? Did they get there by choice or did they get there by a process of elimination? These are the ones who are left to worship God or these are the ones who have chosen to worship God. When we think about unleashing or fulfilling that reign and our role within it, we have to make two choices as to how we approach that fullness of the reign of God. And for Arminians, what we have to do to help get to that moment where all nations are before the throne of God is we have to actually evangelize. I know this is bad news for Methodists. We do not like the E word. But what evangelism is, is just sharing the story of God. It's sharing it. It's putting before people. For us, it's sharing our faith in a way that allows them to have an understanding that then they might choose or not choose to follow. But it is our call to at least do our part to put that choice before them. But the other way you can make that fullness of the reign of God happen is to force the culture to change into what you as a Christian believes is proof of the reign of God. 
And that is the Calvinist approach. Because in the Calvinist approach, there is not a question of choice. What they need to do is change the law, force the culture into the bounds in which they would understand the reign of God. And when the culture is forced into the reign of God, then they would see the fullness of the reign of God exposed. Now, when you make a society that legally resembles the reign of God as a certain branch of Christianity sees it, for them, it exposes who is in and who is outside of the reign of God. Those who abide the laws are within the reign of God, are chosen for salvation. Those who resist the laws or challenge the laws are outside of the reign of God. It gradually remakes culture into what they think the reign is, but does so by eliminating choice. But that's okay because choice is actually antithetical to their theology. Choice does not exist, so choice does not matter in this reign. Ironically, however, it makes religion irrelevant. You do not need the guidance of faith in moral decisions if the choice has already been made for you. If the law has bound you in, you don't have the freedom to decide. It is why for those of us who see God through a lens of free will. Many of us may agree with some of the moral realities behind some of the laws that are happening. You may agree with the morality, but disagree with the fact that you don't have a choice in choosing that moral path. Because it is in fact binding in our freedom of religion for choice to be taken away from us. Now, often the question is, well, Does scripture agree with Calvinism or Arminianism? Yes. Both. Just to make things complicated, there are passages that certainly can uphold that idea of election and predestination, including the passages that talk about a chosen people of God. Or the prophets that the people cannot get out of the will of God, that it is going in a particular direction and that there is nothing that they can do about that. But from an Arminian side, there are challenges to that understanding as well. Starting off with the Garden of Eden, the very opening of the book, God says you can eat of all of the fruit in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God literally planted choice in the garden. God didn't have to put that tree there. But we would see the garden as proof that God designed the world in a way that people would choose to follow God or not. And this is why Paul, Paul talks about the law failed because it didn't actually change hearts. It didn't actually mold people into the people of God. It just created this place of resistance and pushing against And so faith has to come into that role and change hearts to draw people to God instead of forcing them to God. And then for us, we would see that Jesus over and over gives people choice. Like when he says to the rich young ruler, what you need to do is give everything away and follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away grieved. And Jesus loves him anyway, but lets him walk away. And perhaps the greatest example of God being willing to allow us to make the worst choice ever is the crucifixion. God allowed us to choose to crucify Christ.
and then met us on the other side of it with yet another choice because God just won't give up but will continue to allow us and love us enough to let us keep choosing. And that's the only way I know how to worship God. That's the only way I know how to understand God is a God that loves us so much that gives us a choice. And that choice has to be preserved for us to truly have freedom of religion. And I acknowledge that there are some challenges to this, that, that some days it's not easy. Some days you feel as if you're standing before a whole pile of sheets and trying to figure out which one is right. And that there comes sometimes some pain with it. When my dad was in the hospital in his last days of life, uh, he had to have a, a procedure, a surgery in the midst of it. And I came up to his bedside and I said, Dad, before you go into this procedure, would you like me to pray for you? And he said, no. No, that's his choice. The doctors and nurses around me started laughing, and one of them said, aren't you a preacher? And I said, yes, and I walked out of the room and I said, but I am also going to honor that it is his choice for me not to pray over him, but I'm gonna pray out here. He can't stop me, that's my choice to do that, right? And my dad did pass away that week, and I honestly don't know what his last choice was. But I had this sense that, like Jesus met Peter at the lakeshore on the other side of the crucifixion and gave him three opportunities to tell him that he loved him. I feel as though my dad went to that lakeshore and Jesus met him there and asked him, do you love me? I don't know how my dad answered. I'm not even sure that he's not still at the lakeshore, that Jesus just, he didn't have an answer, and so Jesus was like, okay, cool, I'll check in later. And every so often, Jesus wanders by the lakeshore and says, hey, Bill, I uh, got a question. No answer yet? Okay, I'll be back later. Uh, that very well may be what happened. But you know what? I am at peace with that because it was my father's choice and Jesus' love. So I am at peace however it worked out. And I am grateful to be able to be free, to understand God as one who would love me enough to let me choose to. I'm grateful to be in a country where I am given the right to have that belief and to proclaim it week to week. And for now, if we are at war, that kind of love, that kind of freedom, that kind of choice is worth fighting for. And I will rejoice that I can run through these halls and out in those streets and all across the world and say, there are so many choices here. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community.
Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.